Welcome to Mint, a unique look into how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and let's kick off this episode by giving some love to our five NFT sponsors. They are Coinvise, Poop, Cello, Social Stack, and PrimeDAO. First off, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have POAP, or short for Proof of Attendance Protocol, who enables a novel way of creating one's life diary. Leveraging NFT technology, POAP facilitates an easy way to mint non-fungible tokens related to meaningful events. It's frequently used in crypto-native communities, and now it's starting to create NFT collectors in the mainstream too. Collect or launch your own POAP today by visiting poap.xyz. Next up, we have Social Stack a platform for communities, brands, and creators to build mission-driven social token economies, offering an easy-to-use non-custodial wallet with a suite of open-source community engagement tools. Social Stack makes it simple to bring your community into Web3 and be a part of creating an open-source, gratitude-driven future for social tokens. Create a free social token wallet, discover mission-driven social token communities, or apply to launch your own token on Social Stack by visiting socialstack.co today. Next up, we have Celo. Are you looking for an ecosystem of dApps, currencies, and tokens that can connect you with people no matter their device, carrier, or country? Well, say hello to Celo, a mobile-first platform that makes crypto dApps and payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Celo supports thousands of projects from builders, developers, and artists who everyday build applications and issue tokens from all over the world. Visit celo.org today to learn more. And last but not least, we have PrimeDAO, a collective of DeFi builders and DAO veterans attempting to turn DeFi into a more cooperative ecosystem by creating DAO-to-DAO interactions. The first solution to go live is PrimeLaunch, a launchpad experience for DAOs built in collaboration with Balancer. If you plan on launching a DAO, head over to prime.xyz to access a network of partners and tools that will jumpstart your DAO development today. This episode welcomes Andy Arts, who's on a mission to advance humanity by solving the world's hardest problems while investing at social capital. He's also a major proponent of the decentralized social media platform BitCloud, following his own creator coin, ARTS, which is the ticker A-R-T-Z. In this episode, we talk about understanding BitClout, weighing the risks of creator coins, curation on the blockchain, the process of launching ARTS coin, trading social capital, what will eat Web3, and so much more. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Andy, welcome to Mint. Thank you so much for being on. How are you? Adam, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Good, man. Good. Let's just jump right into the basics. Tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, who are you, Andy? What were you doing uh, before crypto and kind of where are you now? These days, I'm a social token influencer by night. By day, I'm a partner at Social Capital. I've been in the venture capital space for the last eight years. Before that, I was a VP of analytics and finance at a gaming startup called OMGPOP. Um, kind of a precursor to crypto in a way, gaming communities feel very similar and very related to crypto. Um, so I was building social games there. 
Uh, we had a game called Draw Something, which which was popular for a minute in March 2012. Um, before that, I studied physics, so I was coming from a science background. So actually, how how did your so you studied physics? Okay, very far far field from investing, very far from gaming. How did you go from the physics route to the gaming route and now to crypto? Like, what was that transition like? Uh, transition was rough. I think all transitions. There's hard. There's no such thing as a smooth transition, in my opinion. Um, I was curious about how the world works, so I liked understanding, you know, like at the atomic level, uh, protons, neutrons, quantum was very interesting, like a probabilistic view of the world. Um, but going deeper into science was um, was a different path I wasn't ready for. Um, so I got into finance. I had loans to pay. Worked yeah. at IBM. Uh, learned how to use Excel. Learned how companies think about buying other companies. Got to see the flow of funds of you know, who cashes out, where the value is created. At IBM, we were this large company with a lot of loyal executives that were buying these smaller startups. And so I fell in love with that process. And that's what led me to join a startup. So I reached out to a bunch of folks in my network. Um, OMG Pop got connected through a friend of a friend. Um, and uh, yeah, I really love the gaming space. I've always been a gamer. Grew up playing StarCraft, Diablo 2, Warcraft 3. Um, so RuneScape, you know, Club Penguin, any of those? <laughs> Club Penguin was after my time. That was like 2006. I think I was already man. Being young is a mentality. You can't <laughs> you, you can't shit on Club Penguin. That was my shit, man. I used to play that so often. Oh yeah, what did you do in it, dude? I used to hack it. I literally used to hack it and try to like artificially create new coins and money for me to buy like igloos and dance floors and. And all that stuff to the point where I got banned forever from the platform. Oh, wow. so it didn't end well. I was just super bored as a as a kid. But I I guess that's also <laughs> indirectly influenced my my way into crypto somehow. But not. I don't want to talk about me. I want to <laughs> I want to talk about more about you. Okay. So okay. Grew up gaming. Studied physics. Worked at IBM. Saw the mergers and acquisition side of things, and that led you to being a partner right now with Social Capital. Right. Yeah, I went to a startup, saw how that worked out. We sold the company. And then um, in that process, I realized how the investment process works. Because being at a company, we were in the first one of the first YC batches, 2006. And then we had raised a seed round, Series A, B. Oh. So I got to I got a flavor for what the investment side is like and wanted to try it out. Nice. Super cool. So at Social Capital, what do you guys kind of focus on? I know you guys are a relatively big firm and... I feel like you're agnostic, but what do you, I guess more specifically, what do you look for as an investor? Yeah, we're a generalist firm. We've got a couple billion dollars under management across venture funds, SPACs. We do private credit as well, a bunch of different different asset classes. I joined with uh, Bitcoin in mind in 2013. Uh, so Chamath and I teamed up. We started thinking through where's crypto going. We put on a big trade back then, which has worked out well for us. Um, we bought a piece of digital currency group and so that I've been always I've always been interested and attracted to the frontier of how consumer behavior is changing. Um, we did a lot of healthcare, education, and SaaS investing in social capital. That was our mandate. Um, but it slowly I've been drawn back more to the crypto side. From last year, I've been focusing full time on this um, and really on the consumer angle too. Like, how is crypto going to enable new ways of communicating, new ways of interacting? I think DAOs are interesting. New ways of governance, new ways of uh, you know culture. Which yeah. we're seeing in the NFT space. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you called yourself a social token influencer, right? Which I think 
respectively on BitCloud, obviously one of the top performing creators out there, if you're measuring it by your ticker price and also your level of activity. And you're a very big advocate of these creator coins, right? However you want to call them. What is it about social tokens that got you so excited to begin with? Uh, what it was new, it was different, it was weird, it it was addictive. It felt like there was some new behavior that was being unlocked beyond, you know, I could go set up a Stripe account or a Shopify store, or you know, I have Venmo and I have a PayPal account, and that's all fine and good. But there's something about the speed, the global reach. The you know fact that it's crypto, it's on a blockchain, it's on a it's, BitCloud is a layer one, um, and you know this is not specific to BitCloud, but I think the idea of social tokens. I can't set up a token on on Rally, for example. I'm not a, a you know a YouTube or a Vine or you know YouTube or Twitch or whatever streamer that has a huge following. So BitCloud was just this very simple way for anyone in the world to go up and have a token. Uh, the simplest way in the world to issue a token right now, currently, I think that's that's on BitCloud.com. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny you mentioned all those like those examples in the beginning, those Web2 examples like uh, Stripe, et cetera, et cetera. All those examples are basically forms of stable payments. Right now, if you're if you're comparing stable payments to social tokens, they tend to be speculative assets or utility tokens, however you want to categorize them, right? Have you ever like dive what's the word? Like have you ever just jumped into the idea of like stable creator coins? Is there, is there even a need for that? Because if you reference the examples of like tipping creators, right, for mm -hmm. example, and their native tokens um, and their fans, which might not be as speculative intensive as maybe you and I are and that like to play with the market, they basically exchange and swap their either their Bitcoin, USD, whatever it may be for the speculative asset that then fluctuates in value that then they use to tip creators, right? Have you ever like like thought about what a stable creator coin would look like? Does that even make sense? What do you feel about that? Yeah, one of the first experiments I did on the platform was uh, I called it stable clout, and I asked people to keep a peg of my coin price at eight thousand eight hundred eighty eight dollars, so that if it went over, people would sell and buy. So, I was trying to replicate an algo stable coin of sorts with the community. Um, there were no real incentives; it was just for fun. But um, yeah, I think it's a great point. Like. A lot of people don't want to be exposed to volatility on the day to day, and that affects their user experience. So I think, um, you know, keeping it in stable coins and then only there's diamonds on the platform, which are basically a form of tipping, which you tip in your own creator coin, which is volatile. So, um, you know, that piece is a little weird. But um, I think there, I think to your point, yeah, that we need to, not everybody wants to be exposed to volatility in all aspects of what they're doing. So that's that's some, definitely something that we'll need to evolve with the ecosystem. Yeah. And you're you come from an interesting point of view because obviously you're an investor. You look at a ton of deal flow. You look at a lot of projects and you guys got into BitCloud for a specific reason. Right. And you're seeing certain macro events occur that kind of piece together that led to the rise of BitCloud. How would you argue the current state of the market? Like, where are we right now? And I only ask this question from the point of view of, Let's look at some like moments in crypto that were quite defining. DeFi summer, August 2020, right? Introduced a lot of, of really, really cool projects, uh, a lot of institutional capital. Now we saw like the rise in March of NFTs. And now we're seeing like a new hype cycle behind NFTs, OpenSea hitting daily um, uh, highs for transaction volumes. Like where are we right now in, in the social token space? Very early. The social token wave is yet to crest. 
I think, uh, you know, there was a little bit of BitClout mania upon launch. It's by far the, you know, Rally, Rally and Roll had a head start, but this is the first consumer-facing platform that's reached a million users um, and is available to anyone in the world. So I think, um, you know, I don't think this this is at, this is sort of at the Friendster. If you compare it to the social network days, we're at the Friendster phase, um, where you know social networks not yet a word, similar to how social tokens not yet on the tip of everyone's tongues. Um, but I do think it will have its moment, and I think you know right now you mentioned NFTs are the focus that seems to have captured the community's imagination, and how you know you have this piece of ownership that you can and now connecting that to DeFi is interesting, and then. You know, what's happening in gaming right now is interesting. Um, I think people are getting more and more used to the idea that there are assets other than, you know, your standard layer one tokens or layer two tokens that have value that can be transacted in interesting ways. And social tokens takes that up a notch. If you spend any amount of time on BitClout, you know how many different interdependencies there are. The coin price volatility, the tipping mechanism you managing your own coin and your own cap table of coin holders. It's a very complicated um, thing, not only intellectually or financially, but also there's a social element to which, um, which I haven't seen before in crypto. It doesn't exist on, um, on other platforms. Sure, sure. You know, it's, it's cool because you're seeing all these like Chrome plugins try to mimic more NFT social elements on Twitter. Right. By like mocking up and changing the interface design on a like a, a one player end, you know, adding a section for your NFTs, adding your name tags, all these cool like components. But you're right. There's no end to end decentralized platform that encompasses either the ethos of crypto. Right. And allows people to trade and transact one another uh, and integrates this concept of social tokens. But you brought in a, you brought a cool example of, of we're at the point of Friendster. OK, that's where we are right now. What do you imagine the point of Facebook looking and feeling like? Because that's a lot of innovation in between. It's a lot of like, it's a, it, a lot happened between the Friendster <laughs> phase and the Facebook phase. What do you what do you imagine the Facebook phase looking like? Um, well, the biggest uh, change that happened in the early two thousands was people getting wired up to the internet. Right. So I think the similar at the similar phase, we're you know a couple couple hundred million users in crypto worldwide. I think people getting wired up to crypto is the biggest change that needs to happen. Um, you, you know, uh, BitClout was unique in that it focused on a different audience than the hardcore crypto community. And some of the hardcore crypto community weren't so um, impressed with the way, you know, the, some of the growth tactics and how it launched. So it kind of alienated some users early on. And there's a small, very small subset of the global population that's using this and experimenting with it. And it's hard to onboard. It's hard to go from USD using wire to confirm via your bank account to get a small amount of Bitcoin that, like you said, is a volatile asset and then convert it for BitCloud and then convert it to creator coins. It's like a five, six step process. It makes no sense to your average user, let alone fees associated to, you know, in, in Nigeria, is a user going to pay $20 transaction fee to swap USD to Bitcoin? Uh, yeah. So there's, there's some barriers there. Yeah. I think once the the world, the quote unquote, or society, however you want to categorize it, the mainstream becomes more innate with crypto primitives, right? Understand and see the value of ownership on a, on a digital front. We're like seeing stepping stones towards that direction, right? With NFTs and people understanding the value of owning a JPEG versus copying and pasting or 
right-clicking and saving a JPEG. So it's so fascinating, fascinating to be, I guess, like, I guess holding like this moment in time and being a part of it, right? And you as an investor, when you see projects like BitCloud, you have to think of all these different things, at least I'm assuming, okay? And this is for my background of working at a fund, okay? So when you got the, the BitCloud deal on your hand, right? And you're thinking, okay, a decentralized social network, what could be like the long-term implications of this? How could this go wrong? How could this work well? Like, Share with me that process of how you kind of not analyze this project and what that looked like from your point of view. Yeah, um, I guess in my limited experience in my career, some of the biggest um, value creation examples, some of the biggest startups that have ever been created are, are, are innovating around human communication, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it was Facebook originally, whether it's think about Telegram, think about Snapchat, think about Twitter. It's always some form of changing the way we communicate. And so at, at the core, I think um, interhuman communication is is a big problem to solve. And so anyone that sets out to do something different, there's I'm already very interested in. Um, in the case of BitCloud, there's a problem that's very top of mind right now around getting canceled on centralized social networks. Um, who do you really own your account? Do you really own your data? Do you really have a platform to speak? Um, who controls that? I think that's a question that the community is struggling with right now. At large, and so BitCloud saw that and had a had a solution to that problem. So that was a very interesting. That was very timely. I don't know if people would have been as receptive to that idea five years ago, or certainly ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, no, there are for sure like moments, like historical events, obviously that happened in the past that would symbolize. Also on TikTok, all these like Gen Z creators, you're seeing them garner millions upon millions of, of, of followers, and then just getting canceled and removed. You know, and then they create a new account and post a new video from like a zero following account. They're like, hey guys, this is actually me. This is not some like fake video. I got canceled on on because TikTok community guidelines they didn't like meet my my last video <laughs> standard. And yeah, if I don't get my account back, I'm never gonna be on TikTok again. You know, and think about it, like years upon years of work of building that. But yeah, continue. Yeah, no, it's it's maddening. I see it all the time on TikTok where. Um, you know, you, you, yeah, exactly what you said. You'll see people repost my first account got taken down and it's not even scandalous or anything like that. Yeah. So you, yeah, you, do you really own your Gmail account? Do you really own your Facebook account? You don't, you don't These belong to the companies. All that data that's in there is for their benefit. No other company has access to it. It's anti-competitive in a way that, um, no innovation can be built on top of your email, for example. It, it's hard to really allow for that. Um, you know, superhuman aside or other other sort of email tools. Yeah. The data, the underlying data in your friend graph, Facebook controls that. Um, and Twitter, the fire hose, you know, we, we know the issues that have happened with that in the past. Yeah. So I think that the premise of BitCloud was let's make the data, let's give the data away for free and let anyone monetize on top of that data by offering the best consumer facing experience. And, and the theory is that that should allow companies to compete at the application layer and not, at the, and not have a data mode at the data layer so that they can't rest on their laurels and get lazy and sort of, um, you know, just have these huge monopolies. If any monopoly they would have to generate would have to be at the, the interface level by offering a superior computer com consumer experience. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Like, I like that concept. Obviously, it's a, it's a quite the discussion in crypto of 
Jesse Walden talks about the ownership economy, right? And now we have platforms where you can invest in creators and be a part of their success, both financially and through the creative process. And people are getting really, really creative with how they either promote themselves, you know, launch themselves and ingrain themselves with their fans, et cetera. Uh, but back onto the topic of, of decentralized social media, there's been a ton of buzz around this specific topic. And specifically when when Jack started like engaging with different community members, right? And how he's not really interested in either opening up Twitter specifically, right? So there's this new organization called Blue Sky and obviously it picks up a lot of traction because like crypto lives on Twitter, right? And when you're seeing all these discussions around other forms of decentralized social media, does that scare you at all? Do you feel like BitClout is, is in danger when more competitors come out? Like, how, how do you kind of see the, the competitive landscape evolving over time? No, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. I think um, people are just waking up to the idea that they don't own their data. I think that's starting to come into the consumer consciousness more. I think more examples of people trying to build this um, will only bring more attention and usage to these platforms. I happen to like the BitCloud platform. It's fast. It's responsive. The developers are very committed. Uh, there's a large treasury to support the project. It's hard to do. Um, I would I would really applaud Twitter and congratulate them if they can make it work. Um, and I think that will only, you know, it's, it's also nice for competition to exist because then that, you know, different teams can learn from each other what works, um, you know, copy each other, share technologies in certain ways. So I think right. it's better. The more people that are working on this problem, I think the better off humanity will be. Um, so I'm encouraged by it. I think BitCloud has a first mover advantage. It's a very smart team. Uh, they're in pole position right now. If they keep executing the way they do over time, it's it's going to be a long journey ahead. It's not it's for not sure. Like a, you know, a, it's speculative, but it's it's also a long term project. Yeah. No. 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 For sure. For sure. I mean, when I got I got started on BitCloud uh, the weekend it went live. I got one of those like secret promo codes to open an account, and obviously like word around town spread that this person was investing and that person was investing and there's this crazy new platform that's coming out and everybody's losing their shit. How do I get a promo code to join? How do I buy clout? So the go to launch strategy was really interesting. The whole FOMO marketing was executed perfectly. Um, and I'm excited to see like the development of the platform and how other projects push out and think about decentralized social media. And like you said, like, you know, when stories came out on Snapchat and how Instagram then integrated and then Twitter did it with fleets and then everybody's kind of building. And I think, like you said, all boats rise with the tide. And as you see the, the, the space of decentralized social media develop, it'd be interesting to see how this concept of, of curation kind of comes intact. Because as you know, Facebook beyond publishing also curates content, right? And suggests stuff for people. Same with YouTube, same thing with Twitter, keeps them on the platform longer and basically relevant leveraging their data that they monetize to provide more relevant content. How do you see like curation protocols playing a role in being developed over the years uh, and empowering platforms like BitCloud or future Web3 social networks in the future? Oh, yeah, I think it's super important. Uh, BitCloud is the data layer, the blockchain. And so the node operators are going to have to figure out how do they engage their users and monetize. Maybe if that's one of the challenges BitCloud faces is how does it encourage a vibrant third-party developer ecosystem of node operators who will then go uh, you know, build consumer-facing applications that will then attract users to come join. 
and monetize and engage. Um, so I think curation on that piece, yeah, the endless, the infinite scroll is, is the best part of TikTok. That sense of satisfaction you get for completing these short videos, uh, the dopamine hit, and then the unlimited, you know, never ending scroll. Those are two powerful features. So I th I'm sure there will be some novel engagement tricks and techniques that will be developed by some of these node operators that we haven't seen before um, that are more crypto native. And maybe that's, you know, you could imagine your wallet balance tops up for as you engage for longer term and you're, you know, think about like Brave and Bat, like maybe you're benefiting from some of the ads that you consume um, and you're, you're constantly earning that way. I think, you know, with Axie Infinity Play to Earn, um, there could be a similar model here of, um, you know, of, of uh, scroll to earn, um, consume to earn, interact to earn, engage to earn kind of, kind of model that doesn't really exist in a, in a social network today. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, how would how would that look like? Another like what the example that comes to mind is the collaboration between Cello and Social Stack, and they implemented this concept called proof of listen. So every time you would listen to a podcast episode, you'd basically get rewarded in, in whatever token, right? So that's kind of like what you're you're hinting at, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do we call it? proof of engagement, proof of activity? Yeah, Something right. To that extent, yeah. Got it. Okay, I want to jump into your your token arts. Okay, dollar sign arts. A R T Z for those who are listening or watching. Um, so you you know, obviously you create an account at BitCloud. You automatically get your creator coin. You claim your account and connect it to your Twitter. You get the verification badge. You go through that whole onboarding process. Fantastic. We skip that part right now. Now that you have your coin. You're publicly trading on the market. People can speculate on you as a person and the content that you push out. Off initial thought, did that scare you? Like, did that like give you any concerns? Did, did that freak you out at all? Like, how was that process like? Maybe it should have. <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, you know, I, I uh, not financial advice. You know, I'm not, I'm not a financial advisor. I think um, the regulation aside, it was, it was play. It was it was pure bliss. It was really enjoyable. It was curiosity. Um, no one knew what to do. I created an account called a cloud tato account, uh, where I would send people a fraction of a big cloud and ask them to keep a slice and pass it on. And the community responded. It was really cool. Uh, we talked about the stable coin, stable cloud idea. Uh, I started doing some, you know, some lightweight versions of raffles, some bounties, um, I just started cool. experimenting with everything possible that you could do with having your own token. It's uh, I have my own sovereign currency now. So when, when <laughs> you say you have your own sovereign currency, but in reality, I mean, technically it's a currency, but what can you do beyond just trading? Like where does a utility come into play? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, early, you were right. Early on, it was a lot of speculation. Um, I think by, in, you know, locking value into my coin, so I bought a bunch of my own coin, uh, exchanged BitCloud for Arts Coin, which then mm -hmm. through the bonding curve boosted the price of Arts Coin. So now I have this asset that I can distribute to people in fractionalized ways. I can give you a fraction of Arts Coin. Um, the first thing I would think about is access. I haven't done anything with my community, but there's some creators. Um, think about Craig, uh, who has a private Telegram group that coin holders get access to. There was a Substack um, sort of equivalent platform where you could write um, called SubCloud, where you could write a blog post and have that be pushed out to all of your coin holders. So I think at the very first way we a lot of us thought about it was it's sort of like a CRM. 
and your coin holders now are some of your VIP users. And maybe you have followers on social media, on Instagram, who will like your content, but this is like the next level of engaged users who are actually willing to put real money um, to support you. And it could be a dollar, it could be a thousand dollars. You know, the, the amount is, is that way. So that's more about just gaining access to a creator from a follower perspective. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The other piece that you mentioned is financial. And so what is this, what kind of, what does this asset really represent on the financial side? Is there, what's the underlying value? Um, I think where things are heading is tying some form of cash flows back to coin holders. The first iteration of that, that the platform launched was NFT sales. So I can mint an NFT, I can sell it, and then a portion of the proceeds can go back to my coin holders and I can tweak that ratio. So if I'm a prolific NFT creator, there's a real incentive for my coin holders to hold my coin because now they're going to be receiving some cash flows from those NFT sales. Got it. And one thing you brought up that I want to touch upon really quick is basically a funnel, right? Bringing people on from one platform to BitCloud, and whether it's BitCloud or Ethereum or Coinvite, whatever whatever the, the platform may be, creators need to rethink how they promote themselves, how they advertise themselves and what their call to actions are essentially, right? And rather than being just like a swipe up, it needs to be more intentional to get someone to buy your coin or to earn your coin, right? If a creator would come to you today and they ask you, Andy, like how I, w- I want to get into social tokens. I love the concept of tokenizing myself, keeping my users a part of the journey, but how do I promote this to people without it feeling too sketch, right? Without without it feeling like a cash grab. Like how how do you imagine that line of communication being? Yeah, I think um, it reminds me of in the gaming world, uh, in the social gaming world, we had a concept in freemium games of, of uh, power users. We would call them whales, the users who would spend over $1,000 in your game. It's usually a small fraction of the user base, less than 1%. Um, those are the users who drive 80% of the revenue. And so I imagine there's similar, there's a similar segmentation of a creator's fan base. Who are the fans that are consuming? Who are the you know, 5 10% of fans that are consuming 80% of the music, the content that it puts out, that buying the tickets? Um, and so I would, I would not think about this as a way, a product right now that's suitable for your mass audience, but I would think about it as a product that's suitable for sort of the upper echelon of your fans. Um, and then the second piece is, um, do you ask them to buy it? Do you ask them to put real money into it? And do you use it as a sort of fundraising platform for yourself or a monetization platform? Or do you think about it as more of an access platform? I right now today think it's better suited for access. So I would create a token. I would um, I would boost the value of my own token myself, and then I would airdrop that to my top thousand fans, not asking them to buy anything. So that now they have a piece. Um, I'm rewarding them for you know in a way you think about like cash back of sorts. Like it's it's a reward for being a part of my community, and then empowering them to um, you know a lot of creators have this huge community, but they don't know how to tap into the intellectual capital that exists there. And to mobilize that for their own benefit, you know, if there's a developer in my community and I want to launch a website, or if there's some clever marketer that I need help uh, with, um, you know, paid acquisition for some campaign I'm running, or there's some musician and I need some help, um, you know, scoring one of my my TikTok videos. The, all those people exist in my community, and 
Um, there are probably a few that are highly engaged. I would love to, um, you know, I would love to use my token to at least connect with them, have them on a register of sorts, a CRM, so I can know who they are, uh, and then engage with them in a more meaningful way and and transact and send value to them for, um, you know, completing bounties for my community, things that I need help with, things that helping me scale. Yeah, that's another big issue. The whole CRM component with everyone being so anonymous, you can't you can't really find out who your top collectors are just by a string of numbers and letters, right? There's no way to get in touch. You obviously know this, but so you're saying BitCloud actually solves the problem of CRM, right? So it identifies, I guess, along like an address with an account, basically. That's what you're arguing, right? It, 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 the user would have to, yeah, uh, BitCloud will let me say, hey, here's my top thousand followers. And I would need something on top of that. If the user chooses to remain anonymous or pseudonymous, um, I would need something on top of that to stitch their email to their BitCloud account or their phone number. And I could ask them. And there's we invested in a company called Moonbounce, which is stitching those together so that a creator can say, hey, you know, go to this site, input your email, your phone number, join your BitCloud handle so I know who you are. Sort of you know, a lightweight KYC of sorts mm-hmm. for creators so that they can have their contact deals with their top fans. Got it. Since you launched uh, launched Arts uh, Coin, what are some like major things you learned that you didn't expect you'd find out along the way? Because managing your own community, having your own last name publicly traded, right? There's there's an element of of doing something new, something experimentative, and I feel like that whole process was like a really cool journey right? What, what are some things you took away since you uh, went public, <laughs> quote unquote? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, you know, the, I realized I was really impressed by the goodwill of the community. I thought going in that it would be like a, you know, equivalent of like a stock price that people would rapaciously buy and sell and look, looking at it from a profiteering motive. I've actually made some really good friends uh, from folks who are coin holders of mine, Douglas being one of them. Uh, it's a pseudonymous account. Um, we met up in person and we both hold each other's coin. We saw each other's activity on the site. Um, and I uh, made some great friends on the platform. And it's sort of transcended a financial aspect where, you know, you're, you're sort of holding a piece. Of, it's, it's almost in a way... You know, I don't want to go too far, but it's almost as if how you think about treating family with finances. That's it's not really business in a way, um, and so th- there is that element where you're aligning individuals, um, you're holding their coins. I've seen these really long-term coin mutual coin holding um, sort of handshake agreements emerge where people want to be invested in each other and support each other. Um, that, that's another piece. I think just having some there's a psychological component to it when you you know own a piece of someone of their token uh, changes how you interact with them you want them to succeed you're much more I'm much more generous with my time than I would be otherwise in the big cloud community uh, partially because I I hold these tokens and I think there's a psychological hack in a way where my brain says these are my allies these people are part of my tribe now in a way that you know if someone just hits me up an email and says hey can we chat about this I might be more reluctant to do so yeah so you're more likely to receive a reply from Andy if you buy his coin <laughs> at least a thousand dollars. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> or not even buy my coin. If I buy your coin, if I just see you on the site and I know, you know. All right. 
All right, you guys, not financial advice, not financial <laughs> advice. Um, okay, so I, I want to talk to you, and you've probably heard this before, but I'd love to get your approach on the podcast of this black mirror scenario kind of formulating on the surface where everything is tokenized and brands, people, you name it, are publicly traded on the market, right? Uh, and well, with, with how things stand right now, right now we determine influence by your follower account, right? And I feel like it's slowly shifting to a situation where we're going to start determining influence by your dollar amount, right? And in BitCount's case, it has both, both, both the follower count and, and the dollar amount, right? Do you see one, this world and this vision kind of becoming a reality where everything is tokenized, everything is publicly traded, and you having more social clout than me because you're trading publicly more than I am? Do you see that vision kind of unfolding? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, and, and how do you feel about that? Is that scary to you? Is that exciting? Or what do you think about that? Um, well, I think it's it's up for grabs. It's up to us to decide how we um, you know how we want to fashion that. So I don't think uh, I believe we have agency in shaping this. Um, but I do believe that the interesting thing about crypto is we have an opportunity to refashion the world and the power structures in a way that don't exist in the analog world. Um, if we do nothing, you know, maybe they just map over one for one. Billionaires today have plenty of power and status. And so if you're saying someone with a billion dollar coin price has power and status um, and is tokenized and maybe a billionaire controls a publicly traded company and now they have their social token, that's totally, you know, kind of uh, analogous. There's not a lot of difference there. Um, it's different than the social media influencer that has a bunch of... Uh, has a bunch of followers and maybe doesn't generating income. I love the fact that things are a lot more transparent. Um, living on chain, you it's harder. It's not. It, it's still up for. Um, you know, I, I like the idea that everything you do is visible, and you have to be accountable for your actions now, and those can be discoverable by anybody who has access to. To the chain and can and can you know knows how to use a database or knows how to read the block explorer um, i like that a lot uh, people can still obfuscate what they're doing and hide it through other accounts and you know send it through tumblers that's always possible but you know i i like being myself in the chain when i post a picture of my six-month-old baby it's you know embedded on the chain and now everyone can see it and hackers and allies and foes and enemies everyone has access to that image now and it's, right it's just cool that that's, um, you know, you're kind of uh, putting all your cards out there in a way. Literally. <laughs> there's there's an element of fear to that, but I, I love your point of view of, of the experimentation of just trying something because the vision that comes from that, the mission and what it can be is explosive. I want to finish off with this final question, okay? Uh, and you you obviously work at an investment fund. You, you see a lot of pitches. You see a lot of engagement from different projects and also your partners have quite the history right in in the internet space and the development of the internet is something that really fascinates me specifically the transition from web one that was very much read only right that transitioning to web 2 slash web 2.5 with all these social communities and internet companies like uber facebook stripe etc that enable commerce and engagement online and communities online and now we're shifting into this concept of web3 where everything is decentralized everything is tokenized people are owners of the platforms right what's going to eat web3 
What do mm-hmm. you think? What's going to eat Web3? Yeah, because Web2 ate Web1. Web3, the bet, is going to be eating Web2, right? What do you think will be eating Web3? Hmm. Good question. What's next next? What's next next? Um, well, I think the arrow of time is pointing to the rise of the sovereign individual. And I think going from Web1 to Web2... Uh, to Web3 has given more and more, pushed more and more power down to the individual to use technology to interact with their world and their lives. Um, I mean, the first thing that pops into mind is the metaverse. I think there's a lot of talk about that, but it's at the very, very early innings. Uh, and so the, I guess the the I, the thing that would eat Web3 is if, if Web3 allows all of us to transact uh, and have an economic presence and the build out of these economic blocks online, where um, you know the, the the financialization of everything that we do, the cryptification of everything we do online, I think that allows us now a different way of interacting, um, exchange of value, a seamless exchange of value, um, and what follows from that uh, would be, yeah, I suppose uh, it would be like this: this um, you you know you would see more and more people setting up, um, I guess, building their lives increasingly online more so than they're already doing today. Today, you know, we kind of think about the internet as a remote control for our real lives, um, but maybe that flips and, um, and you know, we're spending the majority of our time uh, earning our incomes, our livings um, through these platforms. You know, if you think about breeding horses in Zed Run, maybe that's just a joke today in a toy <laughs> or, you know, playing Axie or... <laughs> Um, but maybe I think Web3, maybe that's the tip of the iceberg where it enables, you know, these DAOs and these communities of people to economically be productive. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard question. It's a great question. It is a, hard, it, it is a hard question. I only bring it up because one, it like it trips everyone because no one knows what the future is going to be. Right. But it's always fun to look back at history and how the evolution of the Internet kind of, you know, piece together as to where we're at today in time. And one comment that I heard that I'd love for you to reflect on for a minute is what happens when everything is on chain? Everything, every piece of data, every transaction, every interaction from likes to you name it. I, I'm personally fearful of anything too extreme, right? And when, when I was at, I forgot who it was. I think it was either Stani Kulichov from Ave or Jordan Lyle from Nifties that said the the fear of everything kind of being on chain and what that kind of looks like. Let's just play with this. I want to pick your brain for a minute. Let's say everything is on chain. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And why? Well, everything already is on chain in the sense that, uh, you know, our interactions, like if, if you think about the universe as the chain, we're already living on chain. It's just such a okay. huge computer that we don't, <laughs> it's a giant, it's a giant atomic computer. We don't have the ability to calculate. So this is just dumbing everything down and saying, okay, let's, you know, embed everything, um, you know, on a chain we can actually read. And then I think that's really cool because now we, it opens up a new possibility possibility to have this third brain of sorts um, that we don't have today. That is, you know, you could, on the one hand, you could fear monger and say, oh, it's this hyper surveillance police state that we'll be living in. On the other hand, you could say, oh, it's, you know, all these apps that can augment my daily life that we can create 
based on the data that we couldn't have before. So I, I'm in that camp where, you know, I want to put all my life on chain and have, think about all the biometric data. Yeah. Just, you know, tell me what to do. Here's all yeah. my data. I love that idea. Yeah. 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 You, you're, you're the person who loves it. And there's so many people that are in fear of that. Right. Even though most people have nothing to fear or hide. Right. It's just the element of being overexposed publicly. Right now, people are overexposed to an extent publicly based off what they post, but hyperexposed in the databases that store all the information on them, right? Uh, like Facebook, Google, et cetera. I guess now we're coming to a point where all that data is publicly available. And as people create tools and ways to store alike on chain, right? Similar to what BitCloud's doing. And we're now see seeing companies like Rarible experiment with that from a social media standpoint of NFTs and it's going to be interesting to see how this this kind of plays out. But I think that's a great place to wrap up, Andy. Uh, before I let you go, quickly plug yourself and where we can find you and the various projects you're involved with. Yeah, I'm Andy Arts. You can find me on Twitter as Arts Andy or on BitCloud as Arts. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Adam. It's yeah, you got it. And last thing, I'll, I'll end with this. Right now, your token's at 6,500. We got to do a recap when it's at 100K. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out and we'll, we'll, we'll do it again.